You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Good to see you and hear you. We're starting today on Kufchet Amidbet, Kufchet Amidbez, Kufchet Amidbet, four lines from the bottom. And what we're talking about, we've been talking about this uh, the last couple of weeks, actually, uh, is the idea of, of the Seder and the four cups and the ambiance and the type of attitude physically and mentally you have to have at the Seder. Uh, so we'll start with this Bryson right away. Now, here you see tough Reish, tough Streichel Reish. This, these two things in the middle here, uh, what they mean. Uh, they are, uh, it's, it, this is shorthand. This is a, uh, uh, this is stands for, and this, the, the printers put it there so you shouldn't think it's a word. Because tor is a word. Tor means a line or, or, or an ox. So these two lines, the streichel here tells you that it's actually stands for something else, which we know what it means. It's shorthand for tonu rabonot, which is a brysa. That means it's something that comes from an earlier period. It comes from the time of the Tanoim, and therefore is somewhat definitive, and we've got to be careful with it. We, uh, now, there are brises, as we know, that are rejected. Let's take a look at this one. Hakol chayoven barbakosas halalu. Everyone needs to be involved in the four cups. Sounds like everybody has to drink their own cups. We talked about that in previous classes does that mean everybody has to listen to the person drink? Is there a ceremonial four cups just for the for the uh, the one who's running the Haggadah? Or does this mean everybody? This phrase, taken on its own, out of uh, not in context with everything else, seems to indicate that everybody needs to have their own cups. And the Bryson then explains, Echad Anoshim, men, women as well, and we explained why earlier that they are clear they are part of this mitzvah tinokos uh, that 's the part that is new. Now, I mentioned the other day that the word tinok, which we know means a child, the shorish of that, as you can see in the cursor, is these three letters yud nun and kuf, which means to nurse, which now it doesn 't really mean a nursing baby. Uh, however, this is sort of, that's what it meant originally. But then the language developed to the point that we sort of consider everybody who's not yet a practicing 13-year-old something like a Tinoch. Even though, and, and of course, when we see kids, we can think of them as a Tinoch even when they're teenagers or maybe even in their 20s and 30s sometimes. But the point is, is that it's a term that's somewhat inexact. But you still need to know what age are we talking about? Because tinokos, as 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 it definitely does not mean a baby that's still nursing by its mother. It, but how old of a child is this? Is it six, seven, eight, ten? We'll see in a minute. It sounds here that it's a tinok, so clearly it's got to be someone who's older than two or three. Clearly, some a child that's definitely three and above, four, five. It, to me, more six or seven, someone who's, you could imagine sitting at the Seder and having the cup and not just playing with it. Okay. Now, it's interesting. We have the next two letters here, which, of course, stand for uh, Aleph Resh, standing for Amar Rebbe. 
Amar Rebbe, and again, the streichel in the middle, that's always the sign that we're talking about, a shorthand, an acronym. Amar Rebbe Yehuda, the Tan of Rebbe Yehuda, the student of Rebbe Yekiva, Rebbe Yehuda Bar Eloi, Rebbe Yehuda Ben Eloi, the student of Rebbe Yekiva, we've seen him before on this page. In fact, we just saw him over here. Rebbe Yehuda Omar Tzorach Shihei Botam Umara. That was Rabbi Yehuda in a different price. You can see he's right up here, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. So I want to, I want to, I want to, uh, uh, the other day, I want to show you the difference between these two prices. The, we are now quoting a brisa. That's why it says Tana Rabbanan. There's a brisa a couple of lines above here, which also starts with the words, Dalid Kosas Halolu, these four cups. But this price is about how much has to be in the cup and what sort of wine it should be. And we have Rabbi Yehuda's comment on that. And it starts with the words, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. Here, it starts with the words, Omar Rabbi Yehuda. The Aleph, the verb of talk, is the first thing mentioned here. Whereas over here, the name is first, Rabbi Yehuda Omer. So I mentioned in a previous class that this has been uh, an issue that's been perplexing uh, a lot of Talmud learners for a long time. When is a second opinion in a Braita or a Mishnah arguing? Or when is he abetting or adding, amending, giving, making sure you don't make a mistake with the previous statement? Especially when you realize that the Mishnah and the Braitas were, were put together. They're not all from the same age. They come from different periods. And sometimes when a Braitha finally appears to us, it's got a little bit, it's, 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 it's pedigree and how old it is. It really comes, it might be pieces of different time periods. So therefore, it's a little bit of an inexact science. But still, when you say the rule the Tosfus Yomtev said, the rule the Tosfus Yontem said about this is that when it says Amar Rabbi Yehuda, that means Rabbi Yehuda is actually helping. Rabbi Yehuda is not arguing. Where it says Rabbi Yehuda Omer, then Rabbi Yehuda is actually disagreeing. So if the Tosfus Yontem is right, let's try to figure out what Rabbi Yehuda would be, is Rabbi Yehuda agreeing or disagreeing? Let's look at Rabbi Yehuda here. Amar Rabbi Yehuda. Okay. What benefit, this is a nice modern Hebrew word, what benefit do Tinokos have in wine? Aha. Uh-huh. So it sounds like Rabbi Yehuda is arguing here. So this, even though it says Omar first, this sounds like an argument with the original statement. He said, giving kids wine? What benefit do they have in wine? Now, it wasn't so much he was part of the temperance society. He's against little kids getting drunk. I don't think that's the point. The point is, is that it doesn't mean much. They're not used to drinking wine. They haven't developed that type of we call sophistication in life that, that it means a lot. Oh, I had wine today. It's like funny and silly, but it doesn't it doesn't jive with what Tawad Kosas is about. Um, our friend the Rashbam um, tries to explain what's going on here. 
And you can take a look at the Rashbam. I'm, 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 I'm showing you the Rashbam here on the page towards the bottom of the left. Take a look. The Rashbam explaining the Brisa first has the first opinion, that they should also drink the four cups. And look at the Rashbam here. The Rashbam seems to be trying to explain. I know you're thinking it's weird that the kid is drinking wine. Let's assume again that he's seven or eight or something like that. But hey, they were part of the experience. And therefore, this should mean something to them as well. Whereas Yehuda's statement is now explained by the Rashbam. Meaning, the Rashbam is saying, did not learn the way I explained it. <laughs> I explained that this is totally inappropriate. Not inappropriate, it doesn't mean anything to them. The Rashbam is saying, you can't say that that a child who's seven or uh, is, is, has to do mitzvot. Right? That's the way the Rashbam learns this Gemara. Let's read it again. It sounds like the Rashbam is assuming they're so young. What they don't, they don't, you're telling me that they are, that they are chayiv, that they are responsible to do a mitzvah. They don't really have to do any mitzvah. Now, that's not the way I would have learned the Brayta. I would have said the Brayta is referring to a, a child. I would say the Brayta is referring to a child who is of age that he can understand that he's doing the mitzvah, that he's mimicking and emulating, mimicking and more than he's emulating his, his, his parents and what's going on. It's just that this thing is the type of thing, wine, is, 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 you need to be somewhat older and, and to appreciate it. It's like the first time you taste wine when you're a kid. Ooh, that's, I don't like it. And therefore, it doesn't mean much, even if you water it down. That's the way I would have learned the Brayta. However, again, the Rashbam seems to understand Yeah, um, you're right, uh, Henoch. That that would make sense too. The uh, Henoch writes maybe they don't understand what what's going on at all, unless it's explained to them. I am trying to be, and part of what this class is about is using the text and not being scared of the text, and 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 therefore the text is crucial to you. Yehuda says it, and that's why I I don't want to. I, 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 I like dealing with suggestions, but the suggestions need to be justified by the words. Look at the words. What benefit is, is it for this age group, for a tinokos, with wine? I think the, the clear reading of this is not like the Rashbam. I think the clear reading of this is this doesn't speak to them. Rashbam, for some reason, rejects that. And, and I think the reason he does is based on the next words. Ella, Yehuda says, if this means anything, you know what you should do? Michalkin lahen, from the word chelek, give them a portion. Michalkin lahen, what? Let's go to the next page. Kloyot ve'egozim. Now, <laughs> to us, this doesn't, we don't, nuts, people enjoy nuts even today. Kloyot were a very big treat in, um, in, in, in the time of the Mishnah and the time of the Talmud. Um, 
what are Kloyot? Now, um, <laughs> let's talk about the fact, we'll talk about it a little more, but they, it's a treat for them. Nuts are a big treat uh, for, the, for, for them. Kloyot are actually popped wheat kernels. Now, that sounds strange to give them a popped wheat kernel around Pesach time, because you got to worry about popped wheat kernels that they might be chametz. So we'll talk about why it's not chametz in a minute. But the main thing here is that it's a, it's like popcorn, it's like cotton candy, it's like a chocolate bar. It's something that is a special treat for the kids. Kloyot v'egozit. What do you need to do to them? You need to give them these treats, these materials, when? Be'erev Pesach. Now that could mean sometime late in the afternoon. It could mean at the Seder itself. But it, I think it's probably before the Seder. And here we have the famous phrase, in order that they shouldn't sleep. V'yisha'alu. And they should be proactive in asking. So in other words, the four cups, Rabbi Yehuda says, doesn't make sense to me. I want them to be there. In fact, they are crucial. Children are crucial. These tinokos are crucial. But the point is, is to have them aware, have their brain aware. Nothing, now, this could be the, the sugar high from the Kloyot Vegosim. It might also be just the excitement of having a, a, a present of something new and different. The endorphins and, 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 and happiness are just like shooting in their brains because they've got something special. And therefore, once you give them this specialty, you say there's more to come. It's special. You're getting something special. So that's going to keep them hopefully Involved, and that's again the words of the Brita. This this is the uh, in order for them to be not to sleep and and ask. So I think I, I think this is might where the Rashbam got the idea that we were talking about small children who you can't who aren't even the age of chinuch. Let me explain this a little bit better. Um. There is a uh, we know when it, we know when it comes to uh, we know when it comes to children. Uh, there are two states. There, there's a state called Higia lechinuch. They've reached the age of chinuch or not yet chinuch. Uh, obviously, a suckling child uh, who's still two or three years old is not even magia lechinuch. Chinuch, the Talmud itself fudges on this. It says, well, you have some kids that are precocious and smart. Their chinuch is a little bit earlier. Some kids are a little bit lagging. They're, they're slow. They're a little bit, um, you know, they, 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 they're sort of like, you know, late bloomers. Their chinuch is later. Um, that is a, an issue of when chinuch starts. But clearly, there are kids in the eight, nine, ten years old that are obviously chinuch children. Those the Rashbam felt were not the children that need the toys and and, and the candies, not to be asleep. You've are, they're already school type children who are sort of used to being trained and and and, and therefore are into it a little bit. 
You know, they even might even have an attitude about it. So that's why I think the Rashbam understood that we were talking about real, like kids before the age of Chinuch. I think the Rashbam would agree that if the kid is eight or nine or ten, he drinks the four cups. Rav Yehuda's argument, Rav Yehuda was saying, are, are you talking about seven or six, seven-year-olds, five, six, seven-year-olds? They don't need four cups. What they need is, is, is a shot of energy and excitement in order, but they are important because they need to be able to ask the question. And, and sometimes, as we know, <laughs> and this is really one of the problems of, 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 of the modern school system, the way it's developed, is that our seven, our eight, nine, ten-year-olds have too many answers already. They're not asking any questions. They're sitting there, and, and I'm very, uh, very honored that some of my nephews are listening today. They have their own sheets of divrei Torah to say. They're not asking any questions. They're not asking their parents questions. They're telling their parents stuff. And I think, again, what you see from here, again, is the way, the pure way was supposed to be, is at least at a certain age, what you want is wide-eyed wonder. You want You want the child to really have his eyes open and say, what's special, what's different? Not that the child should be so prepared to the point that the child's telling you. The Brita continues. Once it mentions Rav Yehuda, the Brita continues. Second line here, you can see where I have the cursor. Amru alav al-Rebi Akiva. kloyot v'agozim l'tinokot of Pesach. Now that sounds like He's not Rabbi Akiva, you know, having his children. There's a question about who Rabbi Akiva's children were. We don't have a, an accurate um, record of who his child were. We know he had 24,000 students, at least, and, and many more afterwards. But it's interesting that we don't have a record of Rabbi Akiva's kids. There is an opinion of Tosvot that the Tana Rabbi Shua ben Korcha was Rabbi Akiva's son. It's not exactly a, it's based on the fact that um, that I think Rabbi Yochanan ben Torisa, or, or, or one of the Tanoim once said, I can take on anybody in the base Medrash, outside of that baldi. Now he was talking about Rabbi Akiva, and he called Rabbi Akiva a baldi. Now those of us that are losing their hair are a little bit sensitive to this, but that's what Rabbi Kiva was called the bald guy. So that led to the speculation that the Tana, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha, is actually the son of Rabbi Akiva. Karcha is another way of saying bald. Right? Uh, some say, again, Korach is sort of like a guy who made a big bald spot uh, in the Jewish people's uh, heritage, ripping off what should have been positive. But anyway, the point is, is that we know maybe of one of Rabbi Akiva's children. We know of one of his daughters, of course, and we know about the snake that, that almost was ready to, to kill her on her wedding day. Uh, but we don't have a lot of information about his kids. So I'm going to say that this is Rabbi Akiva, the old man, and maybe he did have children, grandchildren, but he was actually giving out Kloyos Vigozim to the kids in the street, Bear of Besach. This was Rabbi Kiva, the Godolador, giving out cloyot and nuts to all different kids, right? There was no stranger danger. 
at that time. He was giving out, especially from Rabbi Akiva himself, he was giving out Kloyos Vegosim to all different children. This is a possibility of what I'm saying. Because he felt he was, as a public service, because the kids are going to go home and they're going to be excited about what they get. He wanted to keep that alive. He wanted to make sure that there is the spontaneity around. Okay. Um, so if we go back, since this is about fundamentals of learning, if we go back to to the first part of the Brita, so it sounds like Rav Yehuda is arguing. Rav Yehuda says that Tinoco should not have wine. The first opinion says yes. Rav Yehuda says no wine, candy, or types of exciting treats, yes. It could be that Rav Yehuda is saying, I can't believe that it actually says Tinokot should get wine. Iguru is saying the Brita can't mean that. The Brita probably means to give them other stuff. That's another possibility. The Rebut is saying, I, I want to amend the Brita. I don't want to argue with it. Okay. Uh, this is the last year, so I want to do some other. Again, there is a very interesting Rashbam here. And you can see on the side where he goes into a whole deal about, uh, a whole discussion about Kloyot, this popped wheat. And um, you know what? Let's read it anyway, because I think it does give a little bit of, uh, of depth here. So here's the Rashbam on the right. It's a little bit long. Uh, and and I, I think here's an example of where something you know, you're never always who you, again, your job is, Rashbam's job is just the facts, ma'am. You know, like the old Dragnet movie, the old Dragnet show. You know, I just want to get the facts. I just want to help you through the, the Gemara. I'm not here to, to, to go into a long speech about other stuff or side issues. That's technically the job of Rashi and what Rashbam is trying to do here. Help the reader through. Give him the connecting words. But sometimes... Uh, you can't do that. <laughs> Sometimes some, an idea just uh, takes your fancy and you feel you need to discuss it. Nobody always sticks to the script. That's that's one of the rules of, of, of Talmud learning. Rashi sometimes asks this question that, that you would expect to be in a toast. Was, Come on, Rashi, why are you even dealing with this? That's the way humans are. So I just want to read to you the Rashbam sort of is guilty of this here. He says, first of all, he does his job. What is kloyot? He says, koli. Koli means it's roasted. It's, 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 it's roasted and, and, and very quickly. The, the wheat kernel is roasted. Mechitim yishanim. From wheat, from the old wheat. Because it can't be from the new wheat that was growing. Because that wheat you can't eat. The chodosh asur. New wheat is ushered to be processed until the second day of Pesach. Adai b'ari shonishol Pesach. Umekomot yesh b'sfarad. There are places in Sfarad. Now, when uh, when a Rishon speaks about Sfarad, uh, he isn't necessarily speaking about Spain specifically. He's speaking about Spain and North Africa. So, there are places in Spain, it's North Africa, 
b'machavat al gabi ha'ur. What they do is they dry out the kernel, an old kernel of wheat. They put it on a frying pan with almost without any liquid on it, just on the flame going through the metal. Now that's the key why there's no chametz issue. Because chametz is when you have liquid, when you have water and wheat. What you have over here is fire through the medium of metal acting upon the wheat kernel. There, that's not chametz. Chametz can only be with the wheat and water. If it stays in water, it gets affected by water. Getting affected by the fire is, doesn't make it chametz. Therefore, if you do it properly, seeming, and again, there's a question whether you can use oils or not. Uh, that has to do with the issue of whether oil or what we call may peyrot, extract of, of vegetables and fruits or wherever you get your oil from, do they also cause things to become chametz like water? But anyway, in Spain, they used to do it, I'm going to assume, without much water, no water, maybe not even with any oil, pure flame. And now what do you do with it? Then you put it with nuts and you make a dessert out of it. So I guess the nuts have like, it's like they give like a little bit of uh, of nutritional aspect or that that sense of eating 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 something that's a grain with the nut together. Now, he says, I know this me pee from the mouth me pee, Rabbeinu Shmuel Hachasid. Now, of course, his name was Shmuel too. He's not talking about himself, but you, this you'd have to do some history research. Who that is? I heard this from the great Shmuel, the saintly one. Okay. Therefore, he says, you could have, you could have Kloyot. Now, I guess the point here is, is that they can sit there. In other words, they don't need to be fresh. The kernels can be old from last year, from last, you know, way back from last Pesach, and they could still be a, a, a tasty meal. And that's why he goes on to say, I find a similar thing from a Mishnah that in, in Trumot, Motsinu, we find Kloyot Mechitim Yishonim. The Mishnah speaks about being able to actually effectively make this treat, even though the wheat you're using is close to a year old. And you can find it, Vishnuya B'Mesechet Trumot. You can find that in Mesechet Trumot. Okay? Um, I don't want to read the end of it. I just want to point out the Rashbam was 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 um, taken by this point. He was sort of fascinated by it, and, and his problem was not the chametz. His problem was the other iser, which is the iser of Yoshon or Chodosh. That until the second day of Pesach arrives, especially in Israel, in Chutzlaretz, there are people that allow it. There is an iser of eating grain material from the previous year, from this from that year. Previous year, yes, that's called Yoshon, and fair, many people in America are mocked on it. I know we have a Chicago uh, land listener. All the Chicago land bakeries uh, are mocked on Yoshon. 
Uh, most of the Brooklyn bakeries are as well. I grew up, we were in Memphis, there was no kpeda on Yashan at all. Um, yeah, so, yeah, okay. So I'm going to re- reiterate that in a minute. Okay, let's see uh, the next piece here because we only had a couple more minutes left. Uh, well, it's 12.15 to, uh, 11, uh, 12.15 to 1. Let's have a couple more minutes. Tanya, Rebbe Eliezer Oimer. Okay, Rebbe Eliezer. Now, which Rebbe Eliezer is this? Um, when you see the word Rebbe Eliezer without any name connected to it, it usually means Rebbe Eliezer, the son of Hurkanus, also known as Rebbe Eliezer Hagado, Rebbe Eliezer the Great. Uh, let's see what he says. He's, he was actually Rabbi Akiva's teacher. What did Rabbi Eliezer say? Chotfin matzot What you should do is, is actually grab and steal the matzah. This is the source of the Afikoman minag. Chotfin matzah Grab the matzah from each other. Grab it. Grab matzah from each other. Hey, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Why? Why do you act in such an aggressive manner? For the same reason. It's not all about candy. It's not all about excitement. But it's also about being weird. But you're actually grabbing the matzah. That's what the pure words seem to say. Grab the matzah. Grab it. Now, um, Once again, uh, the Rashbam um, uh, dis- does not <laughs> take the simple meaning uh, in stride. Uh, the Rashbam, I think, I think, objected to this, this spectacle of people grabbing the matzah. Hey, it's mine! No, it's mine! It's mine! I, I again, it's 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 it happens to be, um, you know, it's it sounds pretty cool. It sounds like you know, it's a it's like a skit that you put on. The Rashbam uh, rejects that interpretation. He says, I'll just give it to you briefly, what the Rashbam says, now going into it in all the words. The Rashbam says either it means that you grab it, meaning you you lift the, the, the Seder plate away, you, you lift the Seder plate away with the matzah on it. Um. That's one way to look at it. Another interpretation he, he quotes from the name of his grandfather, Rashi, is that chotfin means to grab, but it could also mean, like, a, imagine a glutton eating quickly, grabbing, he's grabbing. Chotfin matzah means that we quickly, we quickly run the Seder. That's another interpretation of chotfin matzah. So let's look at it again. There's three interpretations. One is, I think, the simple meaning, which Rashbam rejects, doesn't even explain it that way, which is that you actually put on a skit for the kids to say what's going on. The other way to look at it is that you actually, before the Seder, you remove the food 
So the kids, and this is what we do, this is the source for removing the food and the kids therefore say, hey, what's going on? I thought we're eating. The other way to look at it is that we actually, chotvin, is what we do is we actually go quickly. We actually speed the Seder up in order that we get to the meal quick so the kids aren't asleep before the meal begins. That's the other interpretation here, which would mean a whole different type of Seder than you might be used to. Okay. Um, again, I, there's a, a, the Rashbam has a lot to say about that, but I think if you interpret it that way, that means that what you really want is excitement during the eating of the matzah. That's what Rebbe Ezra seems to be saying. He seems to be saying, Chotfin, go quickly. Go quickly with all this matzah. And this way, use the eating when you're actually doing the physical stuff to spend your time at the Seder. That's when you're going to be able to spend your time there, uh, uh, actually uh, physically um, telling them why you're eating. <laughs> In other words, instead of telling the story beforehand, you end up, while you got to the meal and they're up, hey, remember this? And now, as you're eating the matzah, explaining to them. And that's true, you're chewing and you want to make sure you get the kazayas, but now it would be the time to do it. That that would be another interpretation in Rebbe Liezer. Tanya, the Brita says, a, a different Brita. Amru alav al Rabbi Akiva. They say about Rabbi Akiva, Miyamav, from his whole life, and I guess that means from the time he turned 40, that he decided to change his life. Lo amar higia eit la'amo bebeit ha-medrash. You never heard him say, hey, time to leave the base medrash. He was always like the Columbo of the base medrash. One more thing. Just one more thing. He never said, I'm leaving. He waited for the last person. He was always there to answer questions, engaging people, whether he was originally the student or the teacher. Because from 40 to 80, he was the great student. And 80 to 120, he was the amazing teacher. But he never said, Rabbi Isai, I got to go home. Except, Chutz me'arvei p'sochem ve'erev yom ha'kippurim. On the Erev Pesach, that's when he said it. And Erev yom ha'kippurim. Now, does Erev Pesach mean... Pesach afternoon, or does it mean after davening Friday, uh, Pesach, Mariv at night? The way the Shulchan Aruch quotes this, it sounds like it's after davening at night. The words, though, seem to say that we have in our text, seem to say that it's happening on Pesach afternoon. And what? And this is definitely in the afternoon. Ve'erev Yom HaKippurim. Ve'erev Pesach, that's I and Pei, you can see the Again, the, 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 the Talmud is deciding to uh, do shorthand here. And that's why it says Ayin Pei, short for Erev Pesach, Ayin Shrechel Pei. 
Why in Erev Pesach? As we said, Akiva was handing out candy. Akiva was saying, we got to get home. So that either means going home and making sure the Seder is ready to start or going home after davening to make sure the Seder starts. And why was he, why did he leave the base Medrash on Erev Yom Kippur? And here you see, today, in order, Shiyachilu et Benehem. Now, here you see from the way it's phrased, in order, today means in order. Shiyachilu, that they shall feed, that they shall feed et Benehem, their children. Which means Rabbi Akiva was sending a message to all the other people in the yeshiva. There probably was nothing greater than to be sitting with Rabbi Akiva together. Having Rabbi Akiva as your teacher, having Rabbi Akiva in the base medrash, with the great smile, ready to answer every question, and it was great. But when Rabbi Akiva looked around and made that speech, when he said those words, "We've got it's time to leave the base medrash, he was doing it for everyone else as well. Because he knows the father needs to go home. <laughs> and that's why the father needs to go home to make sure the kids are going to eat in order for the kids to eat. Now, obviously, we're talking about kids who are going to fast a little bit on Yom Kippur um, and, and, and are already older, but they need to eat as well. Even though they might break their fast or who knows, but they still need to be eating. And even if you're not fasting, it's important that people see Erev Yom Kippur as a simcha, that they see it as a time of simcha to eat. And even if the kid isn't fasting, it's important for the child to know that Erev Yom Kippur is a yomtov. Erev Yom Kippur is a happy day. And that's why Rabbi Kiva, although learning Torah was, was his lifeblood, he died for the sake of teaching Torah publicly, he knew that these days, on those two days, he had to act a little bit differently. Okay, we've got about seven more minutes. Let's see what else we can get done before we close up shop. Again, if, if you guys, you know what these two letters mean, of course. Tough Reish, we had it before. The Streichel in the middle, Tonu Rabonon. On the note, Chayev Adam We've now moved from Pesach, and it's interesting how the Talmud works. Whoever put these uh, Talmud, whoever put the Talmud together, we've decided to move from Erev Pesach or Pesach. We had a reference to Yom Kippur, to Yom Kippur, and now we're actually moving into all the holidays. What is it? What's the relationship between you and the family every holiday? So let's take a look. Chayiv Adam with Sameach Bonov Uvnei Beso Beregel. A person has a chiyuv to act as a happy maker, <laughs> to make happy his kids. And not only his kids, if he has Bnei Beso, he has the nephew, the orphan nephew that he's raising, the kid that he took off the street. Whoever's part of the Bnei Beso, whoever is on his gap year staying in your house, they are part of Bnei Bias. They become a Ben Bias by you. They don't even have to be related to you. 
But if they are part of your house and you pay the bills, <laughs> yeah. Again, you need to view them as your responsibility that they should be happy, virego, on, on the three Yomim Tovim. Shenemar, this is short for Shenemar, Shinnun Aleph, which is another way of saying Shenemar, the Aleph with a half streichel here, Shenemar, again, we're trying to save two letters. <laughs> Here's the possible we all know. And you know what? It's and the end of the Pasik says, Ata Bincha, Pitecha, Ishtacha. The Pasik gives you a long list of who you're misameach with. And it's not just you. I I would add I'll, just in a uh, not sort of like a Drush way, a, a homiletic interpretation, you can't be happy if the people around you are not. <laughs> in other words, if it says you should be happy and feel a sense of inner growth, if the people around you aren't into it, you aren't going to feel it either. So you've got to, you, again, remember, this was a male-dominated society, and, and, and the, the man involved maybe under, is going to be going up to Yerushalayim. He's going to be, who knows, what he's going to be doing is going to be showing up at the Beis HaMikdash often. But the kids, the other, the ones at home, what do you do to generate simcha for them? B'mam the Brisa asks. What do you do? So the Brisa says, B'yayin, give them all wine. <laughs> sort of similar to what we had before. Wine, yeah. Yeah, wine does it. Wine gives you the buzz. Once again, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer. Rabbi Yehuda disagreeing. Same Rabbi Yehuda. He says, wait, you got people in your house? Everybody's different. Anoshim bira'ui lehem. Think about the gifts that you're giving. The men, what makes sense, ra'ui, what makes sense for them? Nashim. When it comes to women, bira'ui lehem. What makes sense for them? I'm not talking about the Seder night. What is it that is, is, is the type of thing, the present, the idea that will elevate them to simcha. Okay. So that's Rabbi Huda. So the Gemara sort of wonders, what did Rabbi Huda mean? What's, what is it that women should have? Anoshim lehem. What is it that makes men generates that spark of simcha? Well, we know. Yayin. Good wine does that. Like it does at the Seder. But what is it that generates menoshim bimai? What is it that generates it for women? Not to say that women can't appreciate wine, but they aren't the drinkers that men are. What is it that gives them simcha? Not just, boy, this is good, I appreciate it. In other words, the Gemara doesn't know. The Gemara wants to fill out Rabbi Yehuda's suggestion. So the Gemara says, Tani Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef, as we know, was an Amora who had a phenomenal memory, who, until his memory started to uh, slip on him, and that was an incredible story in itself, but Rabbi Yosef had a brighter that explained what it was that women are 
happy with and what you should try to give women. <laughs> Let's see what the Brightness said. The Brightness said that it really de- that it's about clothes. I know, Kathy, it sounds very misogy- somewhat misogynistic, but it's about clothes. The right clothing gives the woman a sense of of simcha. It's it, uh, the good dress just makes her feel different and, and gives her a sense of, of, of how special it is. So what type of dresses should the man provide for her? So the Brighta says it really depends where. Bibavel, see the three bases there? Bibavel in Babylonia, two, two bases. Bibigdei Tzivonim. In Bavel, they like dresses of color, dresses that are dyed. They like dyed dresses. That's considered uh, a, 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 a real mark of something special. Be'eretz Yisrael, when it comes to the, the girls, the women in Israel, for them, it doesn't have to be colorful. You know what it's about? Bigdei Pishtan. It's about linen clothing, but the linen is very, it's Megu Hatsin. Guatsin. Meguatsin means it's been ironed and straightened out. It's in other words, it's 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 a linen it's a linen dress that looks nice. It it doesn't it's not crumpled, it doesn't have I guess the um I guess it doesn't have the uh the you know, it, it doesn't. You don't see the folds in it as well. It doesn't look like like it's breaking. It's actually been ironed out to give a certain like like almost gleam to it. It has a shine to it, and that's what they like in Eretz Yisrael. Big day pishton miguatzin. Again, what does this say about women's fashions? I don't know. I think it also says a lot about um um. Tosfa says that, that they didn't know how to do this ironing in, in, in Bavel. Uh, I'm going to suggest another interpretation. Linen clothing was very common in Babylonia because of the heat. So a woman getting a dress like that, okay, big deal. But if a woman would actually wear a, a, a dress that was dyed interestingly, in other words, with an interesting color, an interesting, something that was unusual, that was something, especially if it matches her eyes or her hair, whatever it is. So that's something which which gives her a, a, a spark. It's got to be something different. It can't be a, a Halloween costume, but it has to be something that's really special. It's got to be something that where she's dressed to the nines and she feels it. That's what Rabbi Yehuda meant, according to Rabbi Yosef. Okay, that's it, my friends. I, I do want to tell you just a little anecdote that my wife says that there is a an account that that of, of, of a lot a lot of dresses. Uh, we are married now. Got married in eighty two. So this year we should live and be well. Will be our thirty eighth anniversary. And there's three Yomim Tovim. So thirty eight times three is a hundred and fourteen, I believe. Right. So. I believe so, right? 38 times 3 is 124, I'm sorry. Uh, 114, no. So there's, a hundred, there's, been a, there's been about 114 Yomim Tovim 
and there have not been 114 dresses. So I owe. <laughs> so Deborah says that I owe a lot. There's, I've not done right. I've got. I'm definitely behind on that. It's a shame. I'll try to do better. So um, Kathy and everyone, thanks for being with us today. Um, I'm gonna. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.